you know, I've been, I've been joining a, a group of brothers, older brothers, I'll say, but not old, older, vintage. They're feisty, they're young at heart. Most of them are in better shape than I am. I've been joining this group of older brothers every Tuesday for a Bible study. Bible study right here at the church, 11.30 a.m. Young men, if you want to come hang out, it's been wonderful to hang with these guys. So much to learn from them, and I just love their, I don't know, their sense of life, their sense of humor. They're, they're kind of at an age where they can really joke with each other and mess with each other, and they don't care because they've lived a lot of life. I mean, they're saying stuff to each other that with my friends would lead to, you know, some sort of a boxing match. And these guys are saying stuff that it's like, eh, whatever, you know, I won't remember anyway. <laughs> Which brings me to a discussion we had this last Tuesday, discussing the next book of the Bible we're going to study. There are no lightweights, and so the decision is to study the book of Daniel. Whew, buckle up. And someone in the group raised their hand, you know, a voice from the peanut gallery. Well, we've already studied Daniel. Are we going to do that one again? And true to form, another voice from the same gallery spoke out and said, it doesn't matter. We'll forget it by then anyway. <laughs> Love hanging with these guys. That's just a reminder that, that it, 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 as beautiful as our brains are and strong as our memories, we are a, forget, a forgetful people. We are a forgetful people. We need to be reminded we need to be rewritten through reminders, heart, mind, soul, and strength, soul and body into the works and the promises of God. We're a forgetful people. Even, even big things that happen, right? 9-11, September 11th, 2001. I bet you remember where you were when that happened. And after a tragedy or a trauma, the call comes, never forget. Never forget. And yet with time and distraction, we often do. This last week, I decided to do a little bit of research on memory. And, you know, far be it for me to say anything conclusive here and frustrate the neuroscientists in the room. But from what little I was able to find out, it's just a pretty amazing thing. This faculty that God gave us of memory. And all these neurons in the brain, hundreds of billions of neurons that are firing and connecting and growing new connections toward memory all the time. And yet I learned some things about the brain that I thought were pretty interesting. The first one is this, that oftentimes memory itself works against memory. And so into our minds is built this defense mechanism, especially when we face something traumatic to help us block memories. Another article I read that I thought was pretty hilarious was something about memory and our own desires. The article said that if you had just gotten home and put the groceries away an hour ago, you are much more likely to remember where you put the brownies than the tomatoes. Hmm, interesting how that works. And how memory itself seems to select based on pre-existing desires. And here's a favorite one of mine that I came across this week, and that is, so often we are deeply confident about what we have heard, and we think we remember what we have heard, but what we actually remember isn't what we have heard, but what we think we've heard and have improved upon. Men, if you are married, you know this one all too well. 
I am frequently reminding my wife about exactly what she said and how I remember it perfectly when instead it's not at all what she said, it's what I thought she said. But haven't I made it better? No. No, you haven't made it better. And so goes the mind and the memory where our connections can often be self-serving. Where ironically, the good memories seem to fade and yet I know many of us can be revisited often in unwanted ways by the bad memories. We're a forgetful people. So it was with Israel. They have just been miraculously rescued in a way that is incredible, almost unbelievable. God has shown up. He's done the work of signs and wonders and plagues and miracles. He's freed his people from the land of Egypt. And now the temptation is great, as it is for us, to be those who are rescued and yet right back to the old ways. Rescued and right back to normal life, because normal life happens. And we can't live in the past, and we can't live in the future. We have to live now. And Jesus tells us that each day has enough troubles of its own. So there's a caution here about our tendency to forget. Reminds me of Jesus' parable about the four soils. You can find it in Matthew chapter 13. It's also in Mark and Luke. Jesus says that there's a sower who sows the word. The word goes out, remember me. And yet so often the seed, it falls on hard ground. Well, what happens? The birds, they come and they snatch it away. This is the work of the evil one. Or maybe it falls on rocky ground. It goes through the rocks and it sprouts up. But unfortunately, there's no root. And so when the, com the sun comes out and scorches the plant, it, it dies. Jesus said this is the worries and you know, cares of the world. And then lastly, you have the thorns, of course, where the seed grows up, but the thorns choke out the word that is gone forth. Only the word that is planted in us in good soil, the soil of remembering and reenacting that remembrance will bear fruit. And to that, I just want to ask why. I mean, why is it so hard to remember the things we want to remember and not get the things out of our mind that tend to torment or take up space that they shouldn't be taking up? I think here our, our fallenness, our brokenness, our sin nature manifests in two ways. The first is this, that we're just altogether too good at remembering ourselves. And we're too prone to forget God's grace. I don't know about you, but I pretty much never forget myself. To this day, I've never walked out of the house without pants on. <laughs> to this day, I've never, you know, been un unable to satiate myself when I'm in a moment of hanger. You know, and now, thanks to being married, my wife carries around a little food to pop in my mouth when I start to act up. But I've never forgotten myself. I really don't struggle with that. In fact, it's the opposite. It's the thinking too much about my life and my stuff and, you know, my bank account and my worries and troubles and all the things that are going on. Being too aware of myself. And at the same time, for a variety of reasons, we suffer from what one scholar refers to as spiritual amnesia when it comes to God's grace. We're too prone to believe, yeah, that was then, right? I got, quote, saved, unquote, back then. 
I remember that. It was awesome. Spiritual high. God did cool things. Now I just, you know, I don't feel that anymore. Now I need to work. Now I need to try. Now I need to add. Now I need to get down to the business of the doing, right? You just can't live in that place. Now I need to get to work. Or perhaps the, the worst outcome of all of the spiritual amnesia, not a sense of needing to work, but a sense of not being worthy. Right? If you really knew and if God really knew the stuff and the doubts and the questions and the, the pain and the frustration and the wrestling, well, then it would make sense about why we feel so prone to need to try harder to get back in God's graces. You see, you don't struggle, do you, to believe he saved me by grace alone, through faith alone. No, what we struggle to believe is actually right now when he knows everything there is to know about you, he loves you just as much, just as fully, and just as completely as he did in that very instant. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a preacher in England, the 20th century, and he had a test that he would give to folks as he would counsel them. He would ask them, are you a Christian? And many would answer this question with the simple phrase, well, I'm trying. And with mercy and compassion, I mean, as much as British people can muster, he would say, ah, I see you don't understand Christianity at all. Because Christianity isn't a matter of how you're feeling and if you're trying, it's a change of status. It's your your brokenness being thrown on Christ, the sacrificial lamb, and his perfection and righteousness being given to you, wrapping you up in the royal robe of his perfections. It happens instantly, and it's done, not just in the past, but for and throughout your entire life. That's why 1 John chapter 3 says these words. And I love, man, these words are for me. Thank you, John. For whenever our heart condemns us, which doesn't say, oh, it might happen once or twice. No, whenever your heart condemns us, you, and those little whispers come in about your fear and your failings, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. We are a forgetful people. And so last week, we saw Pharaoh's Pride, which led to his destruction and God's deliverance, the rescue through a Passover lamb that atones for sin, cleanses of unrighteousness, and feeds the people of God, we beheld this great, glorious, saving moment. And it is vitally important for Christians in the normal Christian life with its crazy ups and downs, because you're a human being and you're not the Christ, that we remember that as Israel leaves Egypt in haste, that same saving work continues. God rescued them, and he will be rescuing them. And he will help to be rescuing them as he helps them remember his rescue and works it deep into their souls. The God who passes over sin is the God who passes with his people. I mean, there's so much freedom here. I feel like this is why for, for so many in the church, and I see this in my own life, there's, there's fear, there's weakness, there's running back to chains, as the prophet says. There's a dog returning to its vomit. 
Because yes, I believe God loved me in that moment, and I believe, but now I'm back to try, work, and do. And we've completely missed the truth that God is promising to help us remember because his goal wasn't just to, quote, get you saved. His goal was not just to, you know, provide you with some high-cost fire insurance in Jesus. His goal was to call you as his children, know you, and be in relationship with you so that you might be firmly founded on the work of Christ and powerful in this world, powerful for the gospel, Not because, hey, look at me, I've got it all together. The opposite. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I was lost and now I'm found. Oh, when? 20 years ago? No, yesterday at church. That's why when we gather together, folks, we are constantly reenacting in this place the exodus. Because God knows. God knows that we forget. He never forgets. He knows we struggle to remember. He is committed as the father to remembering his children. 40 chapters in Exodus, and we're tempted to think that really Exodus is about this. Oh, God did this awesome work of saving his people. That was basically, you know, Israel going to middle school camp. And and then, you know, then he got mad at him, made him wander around for 40 years, and somewhere in there gave him rules. Yay, God. That's That's how some of us live our lives. That doesn't sound very appealing to me, to be honest. Because that's not the story of Exodus at all. It's rescue into relationship. And even the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments, as you will see, is a gift of God's grace, not to those who must obey it to be saved, but those who were already saved and now don't have to, but want to obey. Because they want to live the life of fullness and joy that gets them back to the garden, transformed to the promises of God. We are forgetful people. And that is why we must remember this day. God remembers us. And he gives us ways to remember him. And we see at least three in the text. The first is this, that we are to recall his promises. It's a command. The second is that we are to reenact his grace. Recall promises, reenact grace, and lastly, even when the going gets tough, part of our remembering God as he remembers us is to remain Remain in his care. We recall his promises. Remember last week we talked about substitution. God in our place, the very heart and the nature of love, a substitute sacrifice for what we deserve, Jesus himself. But what comes with the substitution? A change of status, a change of identity, a change of name, adoption into a new family. And if that is by grace, then the work of sanctification, that is God making you holy, setting you apart, transforming you more into the image of Christ, that is by grace too. And that's why we get the command. Verse 3, it is in the imperative, the Lord speaking through Moses, remember this day. But I'm forgetful, I know. Remember this day. We might ask, You know, after being saved, is there any assurance? That's why we do this confession and assurance every week. Because again, we're so, our hearts are, what do we say in the hymn? Our hearts are prone to wander, prone to leave you, Lord, I know. Prone to say, okay, yeah, I'm in, but I don't really feel in. As we said this morning in our assurance, 
He is not only our strength to save, but our shield. Not only strong enough to pull you up out of the pit, but now to equip you with the shield so that when you walk through life and the arrows come your way, you stand behind the full assurance and shield of the finished work of Christ. This is why we're told to recall God's promises because it's not, it's not us who can save ourselves. But again, in verse three, the strong hand of the Lord. That's how you get in and it's how you stay in. The Lord tells us that we need to practice remembering him in word and deed because the Lord already knows our need. It's as if the Lord for Israel and for us is, you know, put a post-it note on everything. Post-it note in your bathroom, your kitchen, your refrigerator, and the door. Please do not forget to take out the trash. I have loved you. I have saved you. I am committed to finishing in you the good work that I've started. And so when we hear that it's the strong hand of God, the sovereign God who sustains us in the sanctification, we can't only behold his transcendence, but we must be drawn to Christ and see his imminence, his nearness, his tenderness. The strong hand of God, these are divine warrior words. Remember, Pharaoh too claimed to have a strong hand. These are the words of a king. But in our text, they're also fatherly words. They're shepherd words. It's the strong hand that wields the staff gently and kindly to constantly be bringing us back to living waters and fresh grass. That's why we never graduate from grace. We never graduate from grace because anything less is lifeless. Anything less is lifeless. To go back to Egypt's power or pleasure, much less to go to religion or the law, obligation and duty. Okay, God, thanks for saving me back in the day. Now I'm just going to do what you told me to do. I mean, is that affection? Is that love? Men, imagine this. You stop at Trader Joe's on the way home, and if you're me and you're German, you find those flowers that are 40% off, because she's worth it, guys. All right. <laughs> No, you go to the flower store, you buy the super nice flowers, okay. You come home to the door, you knock on the door, but there's no smile on your face. There's no spring in your step. The door swings open. I read in a book about how to be married that it's good to give flowers to someone. <laughs> I have purchased these plants that are now going to die for you. You are pretty too. And here, here's the couch. Have a good night. And yet how many of us live that way with the Lord? That's lifeless. You see, the law cannot bring life. Power and pleasure cannot bring life. And so even though, yes, we're going to get there, we're called to reenact and do these rituals that reshape us. They're like holy exercises. True. But we must understand that for it to be anything more than lifeless death, duty, and ritual, it must be the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the work of the Spirit who lifts up your head in the command to remember this day, to see that He is already remembering you this day. It is the Spirit who by faith connects us to the fullness of life with Jesus so that when we do feel lifeless, there's hope. So from there, we can go on recalling his promises to reenacting physically, reenacting his grace. 
God provides in Exodus 12 and 13 three ways. We didn't read it all because it's long, but go back and read it. There's three ways. He gives instructions for an ongoing Passover. They're going to celebrate the Passover now every year. Also, the consecration of the firstborn. And I just have to throw this in. The lamb's blood on the, on the doorpost meant that those firstborn sons, by grace alone, no work of their own, were passed over. But don't forget that that is pointing to Christ. Because from the time of the Passover to Christ, every firstborn son in Israel was still required a, a price, a redemption price, a ransom price of five shekels. And so God is reminding his people, look, you're going to forget me if I don't give you some ways physically and mentally to be reminded about what I've already done and I'm doing. The Passover, the consecration of the firstborn, and the feast of unleavened bread. And as I said, these are tactile. These are bodily. Because, you know, although some of you are very smart, we're still not brains on sticks, okay? We're not. We are embodied souls. We are to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because God made you an embodied soul, not just a fanciful, you know, flesh computer or a brain on a stick, he wants to give you some ways with your body to remember him. And I love this because some of you have been doing these things forever, and yet you still need the reminder every week. And, and then we have these really young people. You know, we even have babies who are just... They're learning to go through these rhythms and motions to learn about who they most truly are in the Lord. When we come to reenact the Exodus here in this church, and the reason it's a priority is because this is what gives us spiritual muscle memory. This is what prepares us through repetitions to, to have a shape that's actually ready to go out and share the good news of Jesus with those in the world. Not sure if many of you have been keeping up with the Olympics. Anybody? Anybody been like, that's happening. You knew that, right? The Olympics is happening this year, Lord willing, in Tokyo. Just starting a couple weeks. Well, I'm a sucker for these like Olympic training videos. And I like to watch them on my couch with some potato chips. All right. Cold, sparkling water or whatever. I just like to sit there and watch what other human beings who are unbelievably physically gifted are capable of. And what you see in some of these videos, you know, especially the gymnasts. I don't know why. I love the gymnasts. These lady gymnasts, you know, they're like three foot two. And, I mean, they can do a backflip over this building. And they're doing stuff that the human body shouldn't be able to do. But, you know, you, you read some of their bios and it's like, oh, Yes. There's a reason why you're three foot two and in the perfect shape of a muscle box. It's because from the earliest age, you have been shaped and reshaped and shaped and reshaped by training to be the best in the world, to be able to accomplish the thing that you've been given to do. That's why we reenact his grace, to be shaped and reshaped so that we can go out into the world and fulfill that which God has called and blessed us to do. We have to do it, and we have to do it again. I know at least three of you in here have seen the movie The Karate Kid. All right, this is like some spiritual Mr. Miyagi here. Paint the fence. Remember that? Sand the deck. 
wash the car. By the way, I'm taking students myself. Uh, and finally, Daniel's just like, come on, man. I've seen you beat up like three people. You're a ninja. Why in the world do I need to be doing this stupid stuff? And you remember the scene where he goes to hit him and boom, paint the fence. And he goes, here, to, uh, you know, the deck. And it's in that moment that Daniel realizes, wait a minute. All this practice, all this reenactment, all these things I've been doing that I thought were kind of meaningless, they have prepared me and shaped me to be one who is actually ready to defend myself. I think we might be left with the question, though, of when. When do we engage in these reenactments? I mean, I'm just wondering if at least a few people aren't feeling like, okay, yeah, this is great, man, but (laughs) I feel kind of guilty when I do this stuff. I feel sort of bad. You know, I know I'm supposed to, if I trust Jesus, I'm supposed to come to the Lord's table, but I don't come very confident. I often come cowering. I am forgetful. And my forgetfulness has had consequences. I've messed up. Well, here's the good news about that. That there's no waiting for the reenactment. The answer is now to when do we come? And the reason it's now is because you aren't coming to reenact what's most true about what's inside of you. You aren't coming to reenact your subjective sense of feeling really spiritual today, but instead, you are coming to remember what's already been done outside of you and is proclaimed over you and given as a free gift. I mean, we live in an age where everything is just about us and how we feel Right? Rehearsing the divine exodus of God is a way to say, hey, get your head out of your belly button, man. And by the way, get it out of your circumstances too and turn off the news. You're being brought out of Egypt for an hour and a half every single week to be reminded that your head will be lifted up by the one who remembers you and it is finished. It is objectively accomplished and done and delivered. This is God's way of saying You know, I don't just love a future you. I mean, that's the way of the world, right? That kind of love, that's Facebook love. You know about Facebook, right? Some of you are on it. Get off. No, I'm kidding. Do what you want. I can't be on it because I'm I'm weak, okay? And then I see some of y'all on there and I'm, ooh, okay, so I'm off. But if you're on whatever, I have my own streams of dopamine, all right? Facebook is all about future you. It's all about offering up Do you realize there's like the smartest people in the world at MIT that all work for this company that know how to manipulate you? Do you think you're smarter than these people? Their whole goal is the future you that has been micro-manipulated into the perfect product for just the right set of advertisers. And they are good at it. There's a reason you only see 23 of the same annoying people on your newsfeed. I thought I was friends with Cheryl. Yeah, Cheryl's not going to sell more products in the future. Future you love is the kind of love that says, oh, I need to go get right. I can't come, to the, I can't come and reenact this thing until I, I made myself right. And God says, you got it all wrong. I love you right now. Not future you, 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 now, by name, all the things. And in fact, here's grace. Grace isn't get right and then come. Grace is come and I will get you right as you come with nothing in your hands, but only by faith. That's why we reenact his grace. Lastly and quickly, we remain in his care. I just want you to notice how this text ends. All right? 
They believe the promises of God. They recall them. They're going to be reenacting all these rituals. They're coming to the Lord's table to believe that, that what God says about them is most true. And guess what? We're not 15 minutes into this deal, and they're already in the wilderness. Because even if you remember and recall and reenact, you are sure to face challenges and suffering and pain and have a million questions for God about why. Why could we not go the way of the Philistines? Would have been like a two-week walk. It's like going on the 101 or the PCH. It's a beach view. All right, couldn't we have gone the beach view, the two-week deal? And here you are in the wilderness for 40 years. And it's at this point that remembering and reenacting gives us both the faith and the muscles to remain in the care of God because we know that God has what's best for us in mind. We are equipped now to trust that, even when the things around us make it feel untrustworthy. You see, 1 John chapter 3 again says, not only does God know our hearts, God knows everything. We would be so prone to have the Lord take away all the hard ways in our life. Just like Paul, take away this thorn in my flesh, Lord. Take away this thorn. You can imagine the Apostle Paul. I'd be such a better preacher, a better church planter, a better leader. I would go out and do all these things for your kingdom if you would just take away the thorn. And it's if the Lord responds to Paul and the Israelites. You know what? If I took away that thorn you wouldn't remember that you need me. You wouldn't have any sense of dependence on me at all. You would rely on your strengths instead of me working and making my power perfect through your weakness. Even when our own heart condemns us, God knows our hearts. He knows everything. And that's why even in the, in the difficult things, he is committed. He is fully committed to being present with us. We remain in his care, not in spite of the problems, but when the problems come in his presence. A pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Again, back to the fatherly hand of God. The one who provides and the one who protects. And I want you to notice that it's not just the 1% of the spiritual people who get to be, you know, in the presence of God with provision and protection through the pillars of cloud and fire. You can imagine that some are standing there going, Wow, that's awesome. God, you're so good. Thank you for those pillars. And I guarantee, because I know some church people, and I know myself, that there's a few people going, hey, Lord, can you turn that one off at night? I'd like to sleep. Or, man, that's really scary. I don't know if I want to get anywhere near that. There are some that are excited, some that are full of fear, some that are confused. There's a bunch of engineers that have maps out wondering why they've gone the wrong way. And yet, all the people of God receive the gift of remaining in his care through the pillars by grace. Because again, it's not the quantity of their faith. It's not even the high quality of their faith, but it is the object of their faith who is strong enough to save. And friends, that is just as true for us. Christ is the object of our faith. And he's alive. He's not in a book. He's not a tiny little thing hidden in your heart somewhere. He's actually in a body, alive, in heaven, with holes in his hands and his feet. And do you know what he's doing? For every minute of our lives that we are forgetting God or refusing to remember out of fear or pride, he is in heaven with the Lord saying your name and remembering you. 
for eternity. Even though we forget or diminish or block, Jesus is proof that God delights to remember the forgetful. And that's why we recall his promises. We reenact his grace. We remain in his care. God is greater than our heart. He already knows everything. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you never forget the promises you have made to your children. Perhaps we could say that there is one thing that you choose to forget, not because you have blocked it. For Jesus, we know, still has the holes in his hands and feet and at his side, but you have chosen in Christ to remember no more our sins. And not just at the moment of salvation, but ongoing in our lives as you have sustained us and carried us and walked with us. You delight to remember us, even when we are forgetful. So Lord, may we respond then, not out of have to, but want to. Not out of duty and work and earning, but as those who have received full of love and affection who cannot help but speak of the things we have seen and heard. Jesus, send us out of here, I pray, in the shape of you, with muscle memory and readiness to, to retell the Exodus to the people around us. Because as we retell the Exodus every Sunday, you remind us this is our story. And not just ours, but ours to share. Thank you that you do that for us every week in a tactile and tangible and tasteable way here at this table. So by faith, would you meet us here with your grace, all of your grace in Jesus. Amen.